to Everybody A, Everybody Gay, Red, White, and Royal Blue Edition. Pretty self-explanatory, but tonight a queer exploration of the book-to-film adaptation of Red, White, and Royal Blue. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I, I will admit it, I am, like, very invested in the British monarchy. uh and your other host lco123 aka vina um a proud member of the church of the book version of this story (laughs) and we have a third uh a third person joining us tonight and i'm your third uh, and guest host uh kelsey and what i want to know is why do they got to be so in your face about it Yeah, so we watched uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue. Uh, We have all read Red, White, and Royal Blue. Mm -hmm. And we all have kind of different opinions about uh, this whole sort of universe that Mm -hmm. uh, has has bloomed. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about it. Yeah. Okay, so I am representing uh, the really, really loved the book and liked the movie, uh, enjoyed the movie. Uh, so I, I am pro both of those things, even though they're pretty different, uh, pretty different pieces of art. Mm-hmm. I loved the book and was let down by the movie. Okay. Okay. I will say. And, and then, then our third, our third member, uh, walking into the ring, the hater herself, Kelsey, <laughs> hater hates love. I hate love in all its forms, and that's important for our listeners to know. Yes, yes, it's also a good thing to know about my future wife. <laughs> no, no, it's like okay. I read the book because Vina really loved the book. Yeah, and so I read it. Wasn't my cup of tea, you might say. You might say. And then we watched the movie, and I'm like, all right, we're going to watch the movie. And I also thought, I also didn't like it. Yeah. (laughs) And I also am going to sort of, like, paraphrase, or or I should say quote, uh, from another podcast that Vina and I both love, which is, it's okay to like a movie. (laughs) It's okay to like a book. I personally don't care for it. (laughs) But I'm just here to have fun. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're not we're not trying to like yuck anybody's yum here. Um, you know, people this is this is a, a a universe that people I think feel very strongly about. Um and people feel very protective over the characters of Alex and Henry. Um and I understand why, you know, it's it's a it's a story that I think a lot of people maybe felt a level of representation that they hadn't felt before or just a level of, you know, connection and sweeping romance that queer characters don't often get. And so, you know, I I totally get it. Um, I will be the last person to criticize somebody for, like, loving a piece of media so much that they don't want to hear any criticisms about it <laughs> because I have certainly been that person. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I think it's also, like, you know, you don't have to love a thing unconditionally. Like you, can, the world is wide enough for Hamilton and and Burr. Like you know, you can yes. you can hold two truths, like one in each hand, and they can exist in the same space at one time when you bring those Absolutely. hands together. So yeah, I. But you know who would love the book? 
Aria Montgomery. It's a fairy tale. Oh, it's she a, was. It's, it's queer. It's Prince Charming. I mean, yes. That's, yes. I, I would you say like a level of representation? Like, I feel like that's what this story has. It has the sweeping romance. It has the, it's like a, a queer fairy tale. It's also a bit of a political fairy tale, a pivotal, mm-hmm. pivotal point in the story is the Democrats winning Texas, like, you know, in our lifetime. So, yeah. you know, there, there are a lot of like, just sort of like happily ever after kind of elements to it. Um, so yeah, like, well, why don't we talk about things things that we liked about the book for, yeah. for the two of us who liked the book. And then Kelsey, you can, you can talk about things that you liked less about the book. <laughs> things that you hated about the book. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are some of the things that you love about the book? So I love, I, I love the queerness of it. Like it's mm-hmm. not just about these two characters falling in love. Although that obviously is like the central plot of what's going on, but it's like, it's steeped in queerness. Like they talk about queer culture historically and they talk about like queer literature and like Bram Stoker and like, you know, I, I love I love the way that it's steeped in queerness. There are other supporting queer characters. You have Nora, who is um, one of Alex's friends. You have, um, you have Raphael Luna, who's like mm-hmm. a, a senator who he's associated with. So there's like, there's like, they just kind of move in this like, you know, queer space, this queer world. It's a story of like self-discovery. The friendships in it are really strong. The book has a lot of strong female characters. It's very sexy. It's a happily ever after. It's a slow burn in a way that we don't often get like mm-hmm. a real, you know, it takes its time. So yeah, overall, I, I'm just, I'm a fan. I like the book. Yeah, me too. I mean, you said a lot of the stuff that that I really love about it, you know, that I'm, it's been, I think, well established on this podcast at this point that I love an enemies to friends to lovers trope. <laughs> and this, this book does it really successfully. Like it, it doesn't just, I think it doesn't just have like the archetypes of these two kind of opposing forces, but it really builds them out as characters that feel flawed and human and like they existed, you know, before the, the beginning of the story. Um, I think that it's a story that has really real stakes that feel tangible right away and are like make, I think, make a certain amount of sense as the book goes along. Um, It's, you know, it's kind of like the heightened queer rom-com that, you know, I wish there were more stories like this. Uh, I think that it has this sort of this very full feeling world, which uh, just spoiler alert that's kind of my main criticism of the film adaptation um but the the world feels big it feels lived in it feels like there it's populated by you know a rich history we have a sense of what this monarchy is um and i think also in presenting the monarchy uh and also just kind of presenting the political world it does a really good job of showing how um, these like rigid societal expectations serve no one. Um, you see that uh, particularly with Henry's sisters B. That's like a big part of kind of her situation in the book. Um, and then kind of like you said, like the, the the queerness of it. Like I love that it's these sort of families of queers 
which is really a theme in Casey McQuinston's books. Um, I think all of all of the books um, that I've read, like they have this there. There isn't just a central queer couple. There's like a queer family. There's a queer community. Um, and that's made up of, you know, couples and friends and ex lovers and, you know, all these different people that sort of form a this found family. And I really I really love that aspect of the book. Yeah. Uh, so now that we're all full of good feelings, <laughs> someone's here to ruin that. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I, I know you are. <laughs> I love you. I love you too. And I, I will say, I was thinking about kind of the novel and like there were a couple of things that I thought were like funny or like this bit like, all right, that's kind of clever. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that little aside of like him, his like uh like roommates his first year of Georgetown or whatever mm-hmm. and they're just like was was that stuff we were doing gay and he's like yeah no shit he was yeah gay. <laughs> I'm at dinner with my boyfriend I can't deal with you right yeah, now. yeah. <laughs> I have to talk to my bloody Mary about this conversation exactly yeah. exactly yeah I I think I think there's a kernel of this novel that could have worked for me personally I just think I just think the, you know, the way people talk, it is definitely a fairy tale. Not only is it like a fairy tale in the romance situation, in the way that it's set up, but it's also a fairy tale in the way that like American and British politics work Um, in a way that is like, it seems, it seems like the author is very interested in like trying to make their main characters like not really a part of that legacy, but mm. also name checking the legacy in a way that's just like, n- n- if you're going to do this, you just can't talk about it, mm. you know, because that's not what this novel is, because it's, I feel like it's never really done justice, like talking about like genocide of the Native Americans or like all of the horrific, you know, fortune made on the backs of, you know, the transatlantic slave trade. And it's just like, you you can't put this in a in a movie. Uh, you know, or you can't put this in this like kind of cute little queer rom com unless it's about grappling with those things. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, anyway. So that was like kind of just like it's like the set dressing around it that was like kind of driving me crazy a little mm. bit. But I will say that the characters themselves and the the couple themselves, even in just their you know kind of archetypes, they are compelling. Yeah. In a in a way, you know. You just kind of felt like the book was like stepping into muddy waters that it wasn't like prepared to to walk through. Yeah, it was just like this thing of like that it weirdly enough, it it does have this foot and I think in like uh young adult queer culture, like early twenties queer culture in like the, you know, early twenties, you know, twenty twenties or whatever, mm-hmm. in a way that feels very real. And I'm sure that's coming from Casey McQuinston's real experience as a queer person. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's not having an understanding of where its foot is in this alternate history about like a a, a alternative queer history of America and Britain that is almost exactly like ours, but a little bit different Hmm. in a way that I just felt like it really didn't work. And not to be like, I could write this better, but I think there's, I think there's a way that you keep those central elements that really, really work while putting them in a more fictional place where you don't have to deal with those really heavy elements. 
So I just, it was one of those, it was one of those novels where I just like, I'm sure, I don't know if it got its start on like live journal or something like that, but I, I wonder if it was this thing where just like, they just needed a better editor or they needed just a few more drafts to really nail this down. But this is the novel that we have and it's the novel that got a film adaptation. So, sure. and, and also if you're a queer person who's making a chunk of change by selling gay romance in America, I don't really have anything bad to say. <laughs> sure. So, sure. There's that as well. So I'm, I'm so interested in the point that you made about like the way that it does or doesn't grapple with stuff, because one of the things that I thought about the book was like, it's interesting that they are name checking that legacy at all. Like when Henry is talking about how like he's trying to like decline his portion of like the crown's finances or whatever. And he, I think at one point he says like, you don't grow up being a fan of star Wars and not understand that like empire is a bad thing. And I felt like, like, you're right. That's interesting that they're like including it, but not really going any deeper with it. Would you have liked it more if it hadn't, if it hadn't even gone there? Like if it hadn't even like tried to acknowledge that? Or do you think it should have acknowledged it? It should have just have acknowledged it a lot more than it does. I think it would have been interesting if it was a character piece of somebody who is a very prominent, like son of like a major family, whether that's a British monarchy or a presidency dealing with like, okay, how do I move through the world with that kind of legacy? Because that's a legacy that like every American and every British person among also lots of other different kinds of people have to deal with every single day. And that's really confusing. And I think that could have been interesting. I guess my thought of just like, I don't even know that this has to be here. Like, I don't know that you need the British monarchy as part Mm. of um, Henry's backstory at all. He could just be like, a noble who like lost the crown or something who's like mm. living off of family money and still has that. Cause I think the most compelling part of his family backstory and his like coming out story is the rigidity of the roles of like, this is how it's always been. Mm-hmm. This is your duty to like the public and whatever, mm-hmm. because of this um, family that he's a part of, mm-hmm. but you can do that as like former Royals or, you know, sure. or people who, you know, had a, had the crown at one point, but lost it in a battle a hundred years ago. Mm. You know, like, um, oh, fuck. What's that family that's, like, still crazy rich? Um, they used to, like, be kings of, like, Germany. Mm. I'm not you're you're that. you're the you're the monarchy expert. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't have that at the tip. But like, you know, I've read other like I I read a a queer YA that was like about the um like the fictional like Scottish royal family or something. You know, sure. like so you you could you could do something like that. You know, they could or or they could be like, you know, I, I'm trying to think of you know they they could be like the royals of like genovia or like whatever right. you know, like whatever a... made up you know yeah uh okay yeah cool yeah anyway. <laughs> that's what I'm just saying, but like it could be like some yeah. fictional family that still has like crazy amount of money from like now kind of illegal dubious notorious sources mm-hmm. um but like there's something about like making it like the british monarchy in particular that i'm just like well this doesn't 
you don't need this, you know? Yeah. And I will say, I think that that was an aspect that the movie struggled with for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. But yeah, you could kind of princess diaries it. Right. And have this like mythical land and it would make it, it would make it even more of a fairy tale. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I, I think that, I think that the book is more successful at, kind of existing in both the fairy tale world and the realistic world you might disagree with that but mm-hmm. i think it's more successful at that than the movie like one of the things that i feel like is very tricky in any romance novel like in any romance novel that's going to wind up with a happily ever after ending which is most of them um you have to have like a good obstacle because yeah. so many, so many romance novels, and not to be like especially queer romances, because I'm sure it's a thing in straight romances too. I just don't really read those because <laughs> who who has time? Who wants to spend their wild and precious life reading about straight people falling in love? <laughs> the world is full of that nonsense. So no, but like I I don't love it when I'm reading a romance and it's like ladies. This entire situation could be resolved with one conversation. Right. Like if you, you know, like this insoluble obstacle of like, one of you just bought a house in North Carolina. The other one is like a fabulously wealthy Hollywood actress. Like, well, maybe if you talk about this situation, you could like find a a workaround, you know, whatever. But um, I actually feel like uh, one of the things that like having him be like a member of like the British Royal, like, I feel like that, like, the obstacle is pretty good. Like, Vina, when you were talking about, like, the stakes of it, mm-hmm. like, it does seem like, okay, so, like, one of them has this, like, position of, I mean, I don't know if you would say that Alex has, like, a position of power, but he has, like, a significant, you know, he's, like, a popular member of, like, an American political dynasty, and, you know, Henry is, like, the closeted prince of England. I feel like that's a pretty good obstacle. So we can't, like, really <laughs> let people know about our relationship. We can't, yeah. you know, like, I, I felt like that was, um, th- I, I felt like that was an obstacle that, like, would take more than one conversation to solve. So I sure. appreciated it. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I, I think that, again, I feel like that's where the movie... But that's where the bigness of the world in the book, um, something I think is lost in the translation of the movie a little bit. But mm-hmm. do we want to talk a little bit about the movie? Because I do have some things I liked about it. Oh, great. And I have some things that I didn't like about it. So we'll be, okay. able, to, we'll be able to have a little bit of a crossover. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, should I start with what I liked about the movie? Yeah. Okay. So um, I liked that the leads, I don't know that I'd say they had incredible chemistry, but I think they seemed game. Um, I think that they seemed like they were like, you know, there wasn't that feeling of like, oh, we're playing gay. Like they seemed, they seemed, whether or not they are gay in real life, I don't know, but like they seemed, you know, comfortable. And in general, I thought that the performances were pretty good. Um, the story I felt wasn't afraid to engage with the queerness too much. Um, it, you know, had characters talking about being gay it was like using the language which sometimes is unfortunately like more than we can ask of certain other pieces of media um i thought that like what we got of the supporting characters was really fun 
Um, and I thought that the they translated the emails in a pretty like visually interesting way by having them having these like bedside conversations uh, as sort of a shorthand. And I, I think it was a good it was a successful way to like build that intimacy. Um, For sure. What what did you like about the movie? Um, I mean, I think that the movie, it's like a different, like, it's a different piece of art from the book, because they definitely had to, like, condense it and, you know, make it, you know, make it fit into uh, that format. I feel like it's more of a paint-by-the-numbers rom-com, but make it gay. Uh, And I, you know, I do like that. Like, I don't, I don't totally mind that it kind of feels like a you know, like a lifetime Christmas movie uh, sure. you know, style style spectacle. Um, but I think it's high hearted. I think it's funny. Like I definitely laughed out loud when uh, I think it's the the Zara character is like looking through his room to find that like, was like she, the best scene. What she I assumes think. is yeah. the floozy, uh, and and then it's the prince. Like that that was very funny. Um, and I also like. I, I thought that some of their choices were interesting. Like I like the scene where it's New Year's Eve and everybody is dancing and like it's this, you know, it's this big, big scene of like everyone is like moving and then like everybody else kind of fades away as like they make eye contact and stuff. I I thought that was cool and I thought that was like um I thought that was like kind of a good like a almost a good visual representation not only of that type of like romantic feeling but also of like like magnetic queer attraction where like mm-hmm. we're the only queer people we're the only people in the world you know like sure. I, I liked that quite a lot and like you were saying like the the visual like representations of how their texting was like the two of them in bed together like I I thought that was all pretty good Baby, was there anything you liked about the movie? (laughs) I agree that I think while they didn't have stellar chemistry, both of the leads seemed pretty game and like pretty interested in showing queer sexuality, at least in the kisses, Mm -hmm. because God knows there's no sex in this movie. Well, no, there technically is sex in this movie. Okay, there's implied North by Northwest style sex in this movie <laughs> which like I don't know like it was, it was very surprising because like wasn't the director gay the director was gay and I had read an article or saw not read an article saw a headline before we watched the movie that was like this movie it was something to the effect of like this movie like changes the game on representation of gay sex or something like that and I was like really in the way that there is no gay sex in it <laughs> Like, I mean, for gay sex, I would rate this movie, like, well below, like, How to Get Away with Murder, and I would rate it, like, well, I would even rate it below, like, probably, like, True Blood. I mean, it it comes in ahead of, like, Pretty Little Liars, but that bar is basically on the floor, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was excited about the R rating because I was like, okay, okay. I I don't, I'm not really sure why it had the R rating. But anyway, mm. sorry. Because guess... there, because there are gays in it. Because there are gays about, yeah. fluttering about. What What if children watch this? Movie? Oh my god! Ugh. Ah. <laughs> I mean, material. They just, I like. I think there's a moment where like they discuss anal sex. Like they don't, they don't like call it anal sex, but like I'm pretty sure they talk about. Does one of them talk about bottoming or something like that? I mean, there is a scene where it is, like, implied that, 
like anal sex is happening on screen, but it's yeah. like a close up of their faces. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it cuts away pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah. It does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, end of list. <laughs> I think that's, that's kind of it. Sure. Just because, like, I don't know. I don't want to jump to the next section of what some people didn't like about this movie. <laughs> but it's just like, there's so much about it that seemed just really afraid to go there. Mm. And like, I think, I think something about like the way it was lit or like the set design. Yeah. It seems like everything's on a soundstage. Either they needed to, like, reduce the amount of locations that they're in in the script yeah. and find some, like, dumb way for them to, like, be in the same place at the same time. Yeah. Or, like, not have these cheap-looking sets. Sure. Yeah. So should we get into our criticisms? Because that might be a longer section. <laughs> well, yeah, I would say that my my number one, like, criticism of it would just be the um, the way that the female characters have all sort of vanished or become a lot weaker. Um, like sure. we we really don't see Henry's sister be very much at all. Like that no. that storyline is really uh, is really basically cut. Uh, the entire character of June, Alex's sister, is just eighty sixth from the movie, uh, and Nora kind of becomes like a stand in for like her character as well as June. And even like Alex's mom, although like, although she's still there, played by Uma Thurman, doing, doing some accent work. Doing, yes. Do doing the most. Doing some Texas. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, really, really giving us an Alex Drake, uh, yep. Texas presidency situation. Uh, like even her character, I felt was like really like I, I don't want to say like weakened but like very 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 watered down um like the the queer supporting cast is really like vanished like the the two queer characters here uh we have I guess Miguel is also a queer character but like it, the the queerness of the world is really diminished and I I think that that is to like the detriment of the story mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I 100% I agree with everything you just said. Um, my like my main criticism, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, is just that the world feels so much smaller, and it makes the love story feel less impactful and the stakes mm -hmm. feel lower. Like, one of my favorite scenes in the book, like a, the, a scene that when I, because I, just a little bit of backstory, part of why I think I love this book so much is I listened to it during like the heart of the pandemic but I was very, very lonely and, um, you know, just walking around on my little walks that I'd take listening to it on audiobook. You know, it really obviously really got to me. And the scene that made me literally like in public start sobbing and have to like, you know, take a few deep breaths is the scene when they they find the mural um, of Alex and Henry. And it's sort of this, you know, literally this visual representation of like, oh, maybe we can do this. Maybe we can be out as a couple and the world won't end it. In fact, maybe like a new world can be created. It's just really beautiful. And I feel like the movie eliminates so much of that. And mm -hmm. it really made me recognize that what I loved about the book um, 
was not just the romance, which I think this, I think if you just love the romance from this book, you might really like the movie because it's the romance itself is like pretty much the same ish. But like, to me, it's all, it's the world. It's the other characters. It's, you know, the interactions with B and sort of the backstory about B's difficulties. It's, you know, the, the stuff, the whole situation with Raphael Luna and kind of how that intersects and the whole, you know, backstory with with um Alex's old roommate and kind of Alex's realization of his own queerness and like so much of that is either like whittled down or just straight up eliminated and I think it's to the detriment of the film and then you know to kind of echo what Kelsey was saying like I think on top of that it's not very interestingly directed and it's not really very interesting to look at and so I think that that like in the the absence of like a like a really cool visual style or set piece, um, which for example like the mural would have been right, mm-hmm. um, it, it really to me really detracts from the story. And in general, like it seemed to me watching this movie, I was like, oh, they didn't have a budget, did they? Like it seemed like it was made cheaply. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I wish that this movie this book had gotten to have like a huge budget and just like, you know, may- maybe even been like a mini series or something. I know your worst nightmare, um, <laughs> but like to really flesh so out. Like, the first episode would be red. The second yes. episode would be white. <laughs> royal. The third episode would be royal. And then the last one would be blue. And Kelsey yeah. would be like, they couldn't have put royal and blue together. Oh my God. <laughs> this is horrible. But, like, just, just, I mean, I feel like a broken record, but just filling out the world a little bit um, because it, it not only visually does it feel like it's just kind of these two actors on a soundstage, but it sort of like plot wise feels a bit that way to me as well. Mm. Um, you know, that being said, I think that like, again, I think the actors are doing a, a good job, um, but I just to me, it wasn't really a very successful adaptation um, and, and I think also like part of that too, is that the sexuality felt very neutered, mm-hmm. um, because I do think like part of, part of what I really like about the book is, you know, what you were saying earlier, Joanna, it is sexy and sexual, like, and that's part of it because part of the book is like the idea of like, oh, a man who is maybe not ever consciously thought about having sex with another man suddenly finds that he really wants to have sex with another man and like how does that work Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um and you know I think some of the choices like the choice to have it be that like Alex kind of knowingly was like maybe a little bit bisexual I think took took away from the character a bit I I do want to talk about that because that's one I mean there are a lot of like differences between the book and the movie like you know, the president is not divorced and remarried, like she's still married to Alex's dad. Um, you know, they're like the elimination of characters, the meshing together. But uh, one of the, the main things I think that's different is that Alex does already, like we, it's canon, I think in the movie that he has previously hooked up with Miguel, who is like a, well, who did what did he works for like BuzzFeed or Politico or something like that? So like we're we're to we're to take on faith that like the somewhat closeted son of the president previously hooked up with like 
a media person uh yeah because you know sure why not um yeah in this world but how like how do you feel like it changes that and to what degree is red white and royal blue a coming out story that's a good question i mean i think First of all, I think whenever you're, like, cutting or combining queer characters, like, I think anytime you're doing that in general in a, like, book-to-screen adaptation, that almost never is a great choice. But I think especially when it's, like, queer characters, because part of what, like, what they basically did was they took Raphael Luna and, is Lucas the name of his roommate? I forget what his name is. Liam. Liam, Liam, I know. I, I actually, I, I don't know if it was his roommate or if it was like his high school buddy, but yes, Liam right. is the character. Liam, they kind of like split the difference, turned that into this other character, Miguel, who's like not, doesn't really resemble either of those men. He just like f- has a sort of similar functionality. Oh, but he's, he's like Latinx, like Rachel yes. Luna, and he's gay like Liam. So you, you can see how they put like the, what they thought was the essential DNA of those two characters. Yeah. Sort of Mm. mixed it up. Yeah. And he's like also kind of like vaguely evil too, um, which is annoying. Mm -hmm. I just, I think that it, I think that it takes away from Alex as a character because I think that, I don't know. It like, it may, it just, it sort of, it adds, it sort of adds this element that I think is not necessary, which is like the idea of him being potentially outed by another queer person, which I never like. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of subtracts something that I think is important, which is like him kind of having these experiences as a as a younger boy with another boy and figuring out later like, oh, that might have meant something more, which I think is like such a part of realizing you're queer is like recontextualizing friendships that you had when you were younger as like, Oh, that was something else than what I thought it was. Right. Especially because Alex is bisexual. Like, and so in the book, yes. there's that whole section where he's like, you know, there've been a lot of times in his life where he's thought to himself, well, he can't possibly be into dudes. Like when he kisses a girl and he like, mm-hmm. you know, he likes it. And when he, you know, like just, and there's a there's a point at which he says like then it occurs to him that like people who are actually straight probably don't have to spend this much mental energy like convincing themselves that they're straight which is like a pretty you know a pretty solid revelation it feels like yeah um and it's one also i i just feel like from a narrative perspective it's like a much less it's a it's a much more boring choice to have it be like okay here we have alex like the closeted son of the U.S. president who falls in love with Prince Henry, the closeted like Prince of England. Like I feel like having them both start from the point where they know that they're gay, but they just can't really, or they know that they're queer, but they can't really tell anybody. That is like way less interesting than like Alex is on a journey of self-discovery, uh, but the guy that he falls in love with is like this impossible, you know, this impossible object of his affection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what do you both think about, do you see Red, White, and Royal Blue as a coming out story? Well, I'll just say, I think it's entirely a coming out story. Yeah. Not only is it Alex's journey of, like, kind of understanding his sexuality in a way that was really different, but also 
um not only like him coming out to his family and the world and like mm-hmm. kind of the literal sense, but I think realizing that his entire life is going to be different based on this information and who he's fallen in love with, which mm-hmm. I think is like the other side of like coming out stories that we don't often see explicitly, mm-hmm. which is, it's not just the, like the big scene of like coming out to your mm-hmm. parents and like finally verbalizing the secret. Yeah. But it's realizing that like, Oh, every decision I make from here on out is going to be different from what I planned. Yeah. Um, and that is also Henry's story of like every decision I make was to uh, fit, you know, this really rigid archetype, ri- really rigid role that my family has cast me in. And I'm deliberately uh, making the choice to, you know, threaten, you know, quote unquote, threaten those relationships mm-hmm. by making a different choice that's good for me. So I think it's entirely a coming out story. And just to piggyback on what you said about the Miguel character, it's also a bad character moment on Alex for how ambitious he is that he would ever put himself in a situation where he's being sexual with a media person. Yeah. So it's just like this thing of like, okay, then what is this character then? Yeah. It's such a yeah. thing in the books. It it changes his character, I feel like. It changes his character yeah. in a negative way. And it, it makes him, like, in the book, his treatment of Liam is not great, but it's not great because he's clueless, you know? Like, yeah. In, in the movie, his treatment of Miguel is not great, and it's because he's sort of, like, he, he feels a little sleazy in his, like, dealing with that relationship. Miguel also reads as much older than Alex, and it, like, in a way that um, I felt read, like, was, I was like, okay, so is this, like, getting into, like, a weird, like, age, like, age, I don't know, like, the age stuff I found odd. I could not tell how old Miguel was supposed to be because I felt like I felt like his character was just very ill-conceived because like I'm not 100% clear what media outlet he worked for and but it was like he just had like magical access to all these events like he was just like oh a party at the White House yes of course he's there and invited and covering it like like what was party? It was like a state dinner or something. Like yeah. Oh, okay, so of course, like whatever outlet he works for, he's like high enough up that like he's, you know, he's like covering these events. But also, I didn't feel like you were supposed to think like he seemed like he was in his twenties. He didn't seem like he was like in his thirties where he had like, you know, a super established media career. I don't know. It was very. I agree with you. That was like very unclear and had a lot of question marks around it. It would have been great if he was like, if he like worked for like the Daily Show or something, and he was yeah, just, like, like, yeah, list or yeah. something, <laughs> <laughs> or just like a really brazen Washington Post competitor. Sure, you know? sure, yeah, yeah. I don't know. What do you? What's your take on on this story as a coming out story, Joanna? So I do, I do agree with, um, I, I, that it is a coming out story, but the thing that I think is really cool about the book is that it is a coming out story, but like the world of the book is so big that that's not all it is. You know, there are so many yeah. books that like the whole story is just like the, the coming out arc, but like, this is a coming out story, but it's also like kind of kind of overshadowing that like it's a love story and it's like you know 
it's a story that has like B plots and C plots. It has like just a lot of points of intersection. Um, and so I, I think that's one of the things that's really successful in the book. And I do think that like removing that element is one of the things that makes the movie like not as not as great as the book. I still like the movie. The movie still brought me joy when I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy that it exists even even in this like kind of watered down form. Um, but I, I do think that like the coming out story, like removing that kind of, it cuts out the heart of the book in a way. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I realized how much I liked the element, like the the bigger world of the book until I saw the movie, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like, it was like those characters had been like plucked into a different story almost. Well, I like what you said before about like the, the book is kind of about like this new world could be possible. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I think the idea, you know, there's like the, the great men theory of history, which has like definitely, you know, fallen into you know, fallen, like, more into oblivion, and and rightfully so. But I think there's this idea in the book that, like, a a certain type of person coming out, or, like, this type of love story, like, it could change the world. It could make a a world, like, you know, kind of, like, before Ellen came out and after Ellen came out. And, like, there was a queer person on the cover of Time magazine saying, like, yep, I'm gay. Like, that, that there are moments that, like, change what we assume is possible, like, what an everyday person assumes is possible because they see it happening, like, writ large in the world of celebrity. Sure. Um, so I like what you said about that. And I feel like that's almost, like, to, to talk about a really different type of story, like Station Eleven, which is, like, a pandemic book and is about, like, the complete, like, dystopian destruction of our society, and then, like, what comes next, like, a new world being built up. And I think that, like, the idea of that new world is always a little more interesting. The way that the movie works, I think the movie tries too hard to just exist in the world we live in. Like, it's basically a flash mob of, like, supporters outside the palace that are what, like, you know, change everybody's mind. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that the movie really like the handling of of the monarchy stuff, I think was, was weird. It was just like, it, it was, it felt like it was very quick. And it felt like it was very a lot of kind of build up for nothing. Well, they they weirdly gender swapped the monarch. I don't know if it's like, because they were like, oh, we don't want to like, be lampooning Queen Elizabeth, or I, I don't know why they did that. But it was a a king instead of a queen, which was yeah. strange. And then they also like uh, the the brother in this movie. I, I forget what they might even call him, Prince Philip. I don't know, but he's like a cartoon villain. Like, yeah, he, he is not. I mean, not like he's the most well developed character in the book, but he is at yeah. least like a human person. Like in, in yeah. This, He's just like, they they might have, you know, in terms of like production value, they could have like replaced him with like an animated frog and it would have not (laughs) been any different. Well, and to your point about like eliminating female characters, uh, Henry's mom, I think, is is an interesting presence in the book. She's not in the book very much, but like her, like her absence 
like her absence is a big part of the story and then when she arrives that like it's this huge kind of moment and she's gone the whole kind of like summit at the palace is like cut down to nothing um and that's kind of one of the big climaxes of the book so it was weird to just sort of have it kind of peter out in that way well, also, like, Henry winds up, like, he has family support in the book. He has his sister. He has his mom. So, like, you get the sense in the book, like, he's going to be okay, like, regardless of whatever happens with, you know, blah, royalty. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't, like, you don't at all get that sense in, in the movie just because his his family is essentially, like, these two cartoon characters. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of moms, why didn't they cast Holly Hunter instead of Uma Thurman? Holly Hunter already has the Southern accent. <laughs> like, I believe her more as a politician. Yeah. Oh my well, goodness. She, she's already played a politician. Right? Yeah. 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 A couple of times, I think. Yeah. What did we what did you guys think of the leads in general? Um, I thought they were both pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, decent enough chemistry. I was actually I wanted to to double check that I got the name of the show right. Um, but did either of you? I know you didn't, but Joanna, did you watch Minx at all? It was on HBO Max. I think it's on Showtime now. No. Okay, so it's uh, it's a show about it's like set in the seven. It's very fun. I haven't watched the second season. Gay stuff happens in it, and I think it's really fun. Um, but it's basically about a super like first wave feminist, or I should say, probably more like second wave feminist writer in the seventies, who wants to make a magazine about feminism, but the only way she can sell it is if she makes it a porno mag for for women. And I knew the the lead for Alex because he plays like like their first cover star. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's clearly like a role of just like he wants to do a bunch of different things. And maybe he just wants to find work. But it was like this thing of like it was really interesting to see somebody who's gone from like a very sexual show, literally about pornography, uh, and he shows full frontal nudity uh, in that show. And then go to this this movie and just none of that is there, really. Hmm. Or, or I should say barely any of it, any of it is there. Sure, sure. Um, I think Henry, he's fine. He's British. The guy could him. He's a lot more fun in Bottoms. That actor is oh, really yeah. fun in he's, Bottoms. He's clearly really talented. So I just, I, I think it's the script. Script and directing. Yeah, I read a thing that I'm trying to remember what they said. They were talking about uh, in, in this 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 thing. This article was like much more critical of the two leads, um, which I don't necessarily agree with this, but I thought was funny. Um, they said that the performance of Alex was like somebody like on the Disney Channel, and the performance <laughs> of Henry was like somebody like try, trying to do like the most serious like gritty drama, mm-hmm. and that because of that they felt like very mismatched performances. And I think the guy who played Henry like he's very you know he's got a good face. They both have good faces. They're handsome guys. Um, I think like. And this is maybe more a criticism of, like, the characterization of Alex in the book versus movie. But, like, I wanted Alex to be a little more disheveled, I think. Um, because I think a, an element of him in the in the book is that he's 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 got this sort of thrumming anxiety that's, like, just under the surface. This sort of imposter syndrome, this kind mm-hmm. of um, intense need to sort of 
you know, live up to the legacy and to do more and to do good work. And I felt like, I mean, (laughs) they have like the montage in the movie of like him, like taking over Texas or whatever, like getting young voters, but um, very lazily done. But like, I wanted, I think I wanted to see the rougher edges of him a little bit more. And I wonder if casting maybe somebody a little bit less confident might have might have helped that work because I think part of Alex is like his he has a lot of bravado but he's a lot of insecurity underneath that mm-hmm. I think like I liked the leads well enough I don't really mm-hmm. have anything bad to say about them but I do think that it's like a, a factor of the script and the directing like it, on Pretty Little Liars, we've often talked about how lucky they were that they cast Lucy Hale because the character of Arya could be so annoying if it was yeah. like, if it was like an actress that wasn't like as up for it as Lucy is. And so I feel like this is just a situation where like they didn't get that lucky with the casting. Like they didn't get <laughs> like they didn't sure. get people who were like so charismatic or so charming that they could like carry a weaker script or make it a bit right. more believable and they also didn't like the the directing of it like they you know it is what it is like it's a fairy tale it's a happily ever after but yeah the directing doesn't ever really like get into anyone's layers in in any way yeah yeah, they even like um, you know, I think like really great chemistry can kind of overcome a not great script. Like mm-hmm. an example I always think of is um the movie Crazy Stupid Love. Have you guys seen that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone and other actors in it. And like that movie, like that's not a great script. But you forget that because Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are so freaking charming together in that movie that you're like, oh, this movie's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um that also happened with La La Land. That that happens. What an Oscar! <laughs> that happens most of the time they work together. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I agree. I think that that's a really good point. That like the acting is just perfectly fine, gets the job done, but it isn't like elevating the material. Well, that's when I said like I feel like this is like a lifetime. Like you you could see sure. this like on Lifetime or on like the Hallmark Channel around Christmas time. Like that's that's the level of what we get and I'm not mad at it like I still sure. liked it it still it still made me happy like I didn't I didn't feel like angry or hopeless while watching it so <laughs> I feel like that's good um but yeah I I don't you know I, I don't think it was like a, a great work of literature or anything like that in terms in terms of the movie sure mm-hmm. sure what books do you guys would you guys want to see adaptations of? Ooh, I mean, I I would like all of her books to be made into movies, and I hope that they will be. Yeah, I kiss Char Wheeler in particular. I think would be a I, very fun book, very yes, fun to be. Yeah, one hundred thousand percent. Yeah, yeah. What about you, baby? Um, I know I'm kind of springing this on you. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm going to steal one from the list I see in your notes. And, and... <laughs> dare you well just because i these are like the two novels that like new novels that i yeah. I, I read most recently um which is uh the quiet tenant yes um which is a true crime novel about uh essentially a uh rotating perspectives uh from uh 
a woman who's being uh, held captive in a shed for five years by essentially a serial killer, the serial killer's daughter, and the woman in town who's romantically interested in the serial killer. Mm-hmm. And, like, the way she plays with perspective and, mm-hmm. like, how the actions of this one man, like, affect these these women in particular mm-hmm. and playing with perspective in a way that felt really visceral and it like was paced super well and I think it could make for an interesting movie or as we've talked about uh, an interesting mini series mm-hmm. because I think that might Definitely. be a little bit easier with rotating perspectives mm-hmm. uh, the other one is Prom Mom mm-hmm. which was another Vina recommendation <laughs> Uh, so I recommend some good books. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, which what is basically it's a it's a novel that takes place over the early days of the pandemic, and also flashes back to the early '90s where the main character has sort of this affair with the football player, but, uh, who yeah. she's uh, like tutoring and like gives birth at prom and the baby dies and she like goes to prison and then it's, <laughs> it's like. But, like, that's not a spoiler. You know that from the beginning. Yeah. And then it's, like, flashing forward when she, like, crosses paths with, like, the boy who ruined her life. Yeah. Really? In a way that is fascinating. It's so good. It's a really great book. I Very different vibes from uh, Red, White, Probably. <laughs> not, not really sensing a lot of love stories <laughs> in either of those picks. Um <laughs> You know, not not having read either of those, I just I I'm not getting that happily ever after <laughs> as, as much. That happily ever after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, here I'll throw I'll throw this is an easy one. Um, now that you know, one of my answers has been stolen. Actually, two of you you each stole one of my answers. Oh, okay, uh, but um. I will say the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Ah, oh my gosh, I just wrote that down as one of my answers. I just well, wrote Kel- that down because I hates that book. <laughs> I hate okay. it. Joanna loves. Okay. Apparently so. All right. All right. Um, great. Great. Um, I and I am I will say I think I'm lukewarm on that book. However, I think that it would make a good um a good like adaptation for the screen because I think that the writing in that book is like not very good, but the story is very fun. I love the story. And also I feel, you know, it's interesting that you don't like that book either, Kelsey, because I feel like, well, no, I, I feel like um, it does something really similar to Red, White and Royal Blue in that it like reading that book it leans really heavily on the world that exists like it it leans a lot of itself on like well you know the story of like elizabeth taylor and you know you know like it it just uh you know you know you know you know the story of celebrities that you think you know but maybe you don't really know uh but i i think that that book like the weakness of it is the frame like the it, it falls it falls apart every time you switch back to the story of the reporter instead oh, of the God. story that Evelyn yeah. Hugo is narrating. Like I, that, when you talk about like a book that like maybe needed another pass through from another editor, like I, I, <laughs> I really wish that someone would have like suggested like just kind of cutting that frame device because I, I felt like that was a, a dire weakness. 
Sure. And that doesn't have to be a dire weakness because I think when I was reading that book, I was just like, oh, somebody read Interview with the Vampire. Like that's, that's a framing (laughs) in a a novel that I feel works, but I don't know. I know, I know for sure you haven't, but have you watched the most recent like TV adaptation? I have not. Okay. So I will say, and I know you're not, you haven't been wild about Interview with the Vampire um, adaptations, you know, made previously. But one of the things that, one of the things that I really loved about it is that they use the framework of the reporter mm-hmm. um, in a way that, in a way that I thought that was really, really compelling because it's about the fallibility of memory and like, well, you're telling me the truth, but you told me something different, you know, 40 years ago. What is the truth? Was it raining that night, Louis? Like, it was like, it's this thing that where there's a level of conflict between the interviewer and the interviewee mm-hmm. that about challenging on certain things, about calling into question the, you know, reliability of this narrator. And one of my real frustrations with Evelyn Hugo was that there's none of that. Yeah. And it just makes the reporter character just non-existent. And so when she's, you know, spoiler alert, a really big part of the twist of that novel, just like, well, what the fuck was all that then? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that that's, that that's also a um, a failing in the the in Daisy Jones and the Six, you know, to, to jump to another book by that author. Like that's also a novel that has this interview framing device. And then the big twist at the end being like, Oh my God, the interviewer is like, has this connection to the main characters in this way you didn't expect. And like, to again, quote another podcast that we both love, you can keep it. Like it's just, (laughs) it's just, it's, it's, it's a level of like sort of, um, cutesiness that I think is not is not necessary but that I think would translate well into a script because I think in a script you just you cut that out and you it's just the story and you're not really you know the 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 prose which I think are not the greatest um it, it, you know it's more about the world it's more about the story sure yeah yeah the, the, yeah. the reporter in Evelyn Hugo like has the emotional complexity of a bowl of lentils. Like it's yeah. just not, it's just not there. It's just um, not. But okay. So another book that I'm going to say, I think would, would make a, a good movie. Um, have either of you read Lucky Red? It's no. a Western. It's, it's a, okay. It's a Western. And uh, it, it has like it, the, the main character is a queer prostitute um who's kind of like making her way on the frontier did did you like the movie true grit did you see the movie true grit like the recent one yeah i I liked that movie yeah if you if you liked that movie i bet you would really like the book uh lucky red uh and there is um there is a a love story but it's not like i would not call the love story like the um the kind of prime motivator of the book necessarily uh mm-hmm. so i i really enjoyed that book and i would love to see like a, a mini series or a movie adaptation of it oh nice and i'm gonna i'm gonna actually i'm really gonna go out on a limb here like i'm way over here at the end of okay the movie, and i'm gonna say that kelsey might even like 
<gasps> me. Oh my God. Maybe. Wow. That, I'm not, I mean, I'll I'm not 100%. Yeah. And see wow. Wow. That's, I mean, those are big words. Mm-hmm. Those are big words. <laughs> Hard to please this one. Um, <laughs> um, another one that I'm going to name is the Bandit Queens. I know you haven't read that book. Have you read that book, Joanna? I have not, no. Um, that was one of my favorite books that I read last year or this year, whenever I read it. Um, and it's it's so I listened to it as an audiobook, and it is like laugh out loud, funny, um, but also truly like very emotional as well. It's about um, this group of Indian women. And um, one of the women is believed to have killed her husband and a bunch of other women uh, decide to uh, start soliciting her services to try to kill their husbands. Uh, (laughs) And it's it's. It's really fun. And um, it it sounds like it would be really dark based on the premise, but it's actually like really, really delightful. And um, yeah, big high recommend. High recommend for that one. Excellent. Another question I have is, what do you guys think are the best book to screen adaptations? Oh, oh. man, what a question! Um, okay, so I am I am a fan of the BBC original Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth mm-hmm. um, to the, to the point that, like, when we were talking about the the Barbie movie, like, I laughed out loud when they had like the little segment of like. Uh, you know, clinically depressed Barbie is just like watching Colin Firth over and over again and his like Mr. Darcy, uh, Mr. Darcy stuff. So I would say the BBC Pride and Prejudice, I would also say, uh, which is like sort of Pride and Prejudice adjacent, um, the first Bridget Jones movie, I think mm-hmm. is a, a really good, uh, a really good book to film adaptation. Uh, and then I... <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to say, I, I am going to say this one, I think, but the A.S. Byatt novel, Possession, but I saw the movie first and then I read the book and I, I loved the movie, which is why I read the book. And then I loved the book. If I had read that book first, I, I might've been disappointed by the movie, but in the order that I saw them, I felt like they, they worked very well. Mm, gotcha. Gotcha. What, well, about- what are some of yours? Do you want to go? Sure. Um, I will say I also love Pride and Prejudice. Um, however, the adaptation that I first saw was the 2005 Joe Wright version. So, like, that's the one that's nearest and dearest to my heart. I think that's a pretty great um, adaptation. Um, the other one uh, that I think is, like, I mean, it's kind of a classic for a reason, but the Lord of the Rings trilogy Mm-hmm. Um, I think they really capture, I think, the essence of those novels in the kind of like really high fantasy sort of 1940s, you know, British mythology um, and the kind of kind of morals and characters that those um, that J.R.R. Tolkien really loved. Um, uh, so those are the only ones that I'm. They're kind of the biggest ones mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. I'm thinking about right now. Yeah. Um, all good answers, even mm-hmm. for ones I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you will. I, I will. <laughs> um, I think uh, 
the Little Women adaptations. Oh, I, what a I, answer. I have a lot of nostalgic connection to the 90s version. But, you know, we talked about on this very podcast, we talked about the Greta Gerwig version. And I think that that in some ways is even more in keeping with the Louisa May Alcott spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Brokeback Mountain. Uh, mm-hmm. I kind of recently listened to the like novella or short story um, that that is what Brokeback Mountain was turned into. And I really think that it's like there's such a, you know, it, it's it's such a successful, faithful sort of expanding of the world in the film version. Um, I also think uh, for go for an oldie, but To Kill a Mockingbird. I think is a really great movie adaptation of a book. Um, And then I also named a few where I haven't actually read the book, but um, I, based on what I know about the book, I think it's a good adaptation, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which one would be Gone Girl, um, which was a book. I, it was one of those things where like at the time I just couldn't read it because everybody was talking about it and it was too much. Um, Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the devil wears Prada. Those are a few mm-hmm. that I think, um, from, from what I have heard are either the movie is either, you know, considered maybe better or on par with the spirit of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we're expanding it to like limited series, sharp objects would be another yeah. really great adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, was big little lies. A book first? Yes, it was. was. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I haven't read the book clearly, but I also <laughs> think that like miniseries is just the first season is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they made a second season. <laughs> yeah. I, and and actually, I'm gonna say um, again, having not read the book, but Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah. I was. Yeah, I was gonna say that. Um, Big Little Lies. I I thought that that was actually like the the miniseries was probably better than the book having having read the book pretty little liars i boy that's a that's a tough one like what's what's better what's worse the books or the series well yes you both i guess have read, you both have read some of the books mm-hmm. yes yeah. correct yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah i would say the books are genuinely awful sure mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like there are these little vignettes and like none of the girls are friends or really talk to each other. It's like four different stories happening simultaneously. Um, at least the ones that I read, which is maybe like the first couple. Mm-hmm. So maybe that changes later on in the series. Mm-hmm. But I would say like, yeah, I would say like the books are, are worse in a lot of ways because like none of the fun stuff in Pretty Little Liars, mm. the show, is present in the books. I would imagine that probably the mystery is much more cohesive. Interesting, because they don't, you know, the, I think the novels are like pretty short. Sure. Um. So I, the, obviously, she doesn't have as many pages or minutes to fill. <laughs> right. So like the mystery is probably way more, you know, incomprehensible in the show (laughs) as we've talked about but it's like it's still like more fun to like live in that world though sure i'm like i'm like such an optimist i don't know that i would have called the books awful because there there are usually some things that i like even when the book isn't like the greatest but um yeah that's that's really interesting the books are not as queer so i guess i'll i'll give it to the show for 
like being more enjoyable just based on like the queer, queer universe yeah sure sure yeah that's interesting it's it's interesting to think about like what makes an adaptation like that successful or unsuccessful it's it's i i love that kelsey is like the hater in residence right now because <laughs> um my my sister, uh, my sister, who I love very dearly, uh, th this is very much like the dynamic that we have. Like, I, I love, like, I, I don't like love everything. Like, there are definitely things in the world I don't like, but like, I go into everything, like, predisposed to like, be overjoyed by it. Like, I just expect like, oh, this is gonna, I, this is a book I got on reserve at the library. It's going to be terrific. And I'm looking forward to it. Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, like my sister will hate something like at the drop of a hat. Like, <laughs> she she just goes yeah. through yeah. like yeah. I I feel like she you know she goes through the world like ready to like hate any protagonist who displeases her and therefore hate their entire book and like anything that reminds her of it for like years going forward. Um. So yeah, love love that energy as well. Yeah, yeah. It's you know it's important to to have that balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Course. Yeah, yeah. Well, do we have any more that we want to say about red, white, and royal blue? I I think we've said a lot. I think this yeah. was a, an awesome discussion from like many different many different perspectives about book and movie. I agree. I agree. It's fun to you know you and I are so often in in agreement on our PLL takes, so it's fun to have a little you know uh, some some <laughs> somebody to be a little some sour notes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I will also say, like, I another book that I read this year was Spare, which is uh, Prince, oh, actual cool. actual Prince Harry's memoir about growing up in the royal family and then kind of breaking away from it in his, you know, in his relationship with Meghan Markle and their decision to move to the U.S. and everything like that. Uh, and I think that, like, reading that in tandem with Red, White, and Royal, Red, White, and Royal Blue is, like, really interesting because again yeah. it's like it, it's like grappling with this world and like what it takes to you know get out of that mold even a little bit um so just interesting uh interesting like non-fiction and fictional counterparts absolutely mm -hmm. absolutely sure. yeah well, uh, this was a very fun and potentially controversial discussion. You know, we absolutely want to hear people's thoughts. Um, you can direct all of your hate mail to Kelsey. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. You can check out our Spotify, everybody a, everybody gay. Um, you can also leave a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Um, yeah, we're just kind of continuing along with some of these bonus episodes. We will eventually get to uh, the reboot, but uh, for now, we're just enjoying talking about some queer stuff. So we will continue along, and uh, we hope everybody's doing well. Yeah, until next time. With "Don't marry her" in the subject line. <laughs> 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 well, tough because we already booked the bank. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Until next time, everybody. <laughs> Take care.